You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your deliciously disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, shall we? First things first, if you want to support this groundbreaking program, you can do so in one of two ways. I would love it if wherever you're listening right now, If you leave us a review to let us know what the show means to you, why it's important, and why you listen, I would really love a review. It helps the algorithm know that the show exists, and I think the show is really, really important, and I want to hear from you so I can know how to make the show even better for you and even more inclusive, talking about everything disability and shining a bright light on those things. So please leave us a review if you can. I'd love to hear what the show means for you. Of course, the other way you can support us is by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and you can can then pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more. Or you can you can do a yearly spend if that works for your budget. And w- with that pledge, you help the show 
shine a bright light on these stars a little bit longer and you make sure that I have some income from doing all this work to put the show together because I have no team behind me except me, so I would really appreciate it if you're able to monetarily donate. But if not, don't worry about it. That's fine. And for your donation, you would get the show one day early and completely ad-free. So, yay, fantastic. Um, so thank you so much for supporting the show in whatever way you're able to. But now, let's get to the show. On the show today, I sit down with my new friend Lori out of the UK. They are a content creator from the UK. I just said that. They are a content creator from the UK. And they run the Bud to Bloom blog. And we talk about their experiences with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and what it's like to grow up with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and some of the fun medical gaslighting they've experienced trying to discuss um, their stuff with doctors. We have discussed also we talked about um what what the what the most perfect queer bar would look like the queer the queerest most accessible bar for disabled people would look like we talk about so many different things here i had a really good chat with Lori, and we had a really fun time talking we recorded this back in june of 2021 so it's a from today, but I really, really enjoyed sitting down with Lori and discussing, oh, everything, EDS, medical gaslighting, uh, just so many different parts of the experience of disability we talked about, and that's one of the things I love about the show is just having really honest conversations with people about disability, and that's what we did here, and Lori is really, really awesome, and I hope you enjoy my episode with them. Here it is right now. My episode with Lori from Bud to Bloom, right here on Disability After Dark. One quick small content note just before we get to the the interview with Lori. I want to just say that I sometimes record the episodes in batches and I record them sometimes months in advance because of my chronic illnesses and disability. So sometimes I will record the episode in June but I won't release it till December or, you know, it'll take me a few months to actually get the episode going because I have to contend with my body and disability and things like that. So you may hear episodes that are not in the same time that you're listening to them. It may take me months and months to produce the episode because of my disabilities and because of my uh, chronic illnesses. It may take longer for me to do that. I just wanted to make that clear that sometimes... Because I'm running this whole thing about myself and making the show out of my bedroom, sometimes I have months and months of backlog to get through and episodes that I recorded when I was feeling well. And then I, you know, I try so hard to get episodes up for you once a week. And then with bonus episodes like the Bumpin' Podcast and stuff like that. So just be aware that as I'm producing it, you may hear episodes from April in like November and you may hear episodes from. June in December, so just beware, be aware that as I create this, the episodes that I put out every week may have been from, from a few months back, but I, I just wanted to let you know that that's how I'm doing it because I'm running this entirely by myself, so I, I appreciate that, and thank you so much for listening. But now, enough of my rambling, on to the episode with Lori, right here on Disability After Dark.
Lori Allison, hello. Hi. Such a pleasure to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? Uh, such a pleasure to be here. I'm doing good. The weather's nice, so my body's enjoying it. For the That's always part. good. Isn't it nice when the yeah, weather is good is. and your body's like, thanks for that. Um, can you, before we jump into the questions, can you just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Tell us who you are and what you do. Of course. Um, I'm Laurie, I'm 21. I'm a disabled creator from Northern England and I cover a lot of different genres what I talk about regarding disability. A lot of that being about ableism, but also a lot of that being about the mental health aspect. And I started my journey blogging um, during quite a difficult part of my life and writing and creating has really been a massive catalyst for me to understand who I am today so my my art and my writing and you know the content that I produce is kind of like my second baby Um, oh that's great yeah (laughs) so I think I've especially been focusing a lot about the specific conditions that I live with at the moment um as opposed to disability is a broad term but I have always loved this community and it's just an absolute honor to be here honestly I'm so I'm said I'm so honored to have you here and I I didn't realize how how much younger you were than me which makes me feel old but also it's so cool that we have the next generation of you know disabled people disabled queer people doing it and wanting to talk about this stuff in a way that when I was coming up at 21 I didn't have language for any of this stuff and I didn't have, I didn't know what ableism was. I, didn't, I knew what it was, but I had no idea what it, what the term meant. And I don't, I don't. Yeah. And so I think it's really cool that at 21, you're talking about this in a way that most 21 year olds might not be. So I think that's really cool. And I think I like, I also like that you're making, you're creating stuff out of that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I think again, as, as we've talked about before, you know, my acquired disability, it started when I was quite young. So I think I had to, because of the barriers that were in place, had to grow up quite quick. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, that maturity on my shoulders as a result of the things that I shouldn't have to have had to manage and deal with, but also living with my body, which is inevitable to, to be disabled with the genes that I have. Yeah. Um, can we pause for one second? Someone just yes, knocked on my door, and I want to make sure that they can come in. One second. I'll cut this out. Thank you. I'm just on. I'm. 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 Can you just put it in the? What is it? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Baron. Bye. Sorry about that. I set it up so that nobody would be in here right at the time. And of course, twice now. Okay. I was recording with a try guy yesterday. Um, and all right, you know, a big, big episode. And I was like really nervous. Yes. And right as we're talking, right as we're in the middle of it, I get a knock on my door. And of course, it's the 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 office attendant being like, There's a package for you. And I was like, Of course, you would knock right at this very second. 
at any time, by the way, you hear meowing in the background. It's just my kitten trying to uh, get my attention. <laughs> yeah, I try and pacify her as much as I can, but <laughs> I support that. I support cats. I'm all about it. So, 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 yeah. Do you want to just pick it up from whatever awesome thing you were saying that I now forget what it was? I've got bad brain fog. Let me just sort of like reveal my thoughts a little bit and see better I'm at. Um, I can ask it again. Yeah, go ahead and do that. I, guess, like, uh, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking. <laughs> and who knows? I might keep that hilarious exchange in because it was funny. Um, the joys of being an independent podcaster in your own house with disabilities yay um so laurie we were talking about kind of you being you using your disability to create stuff and i was saying how cool it was that you're 21 being able to talk about this stuff at such a young age yeah um it was very much for me i was very from from within the space of a few months being able to you know, attend school regularly, even though I had a lot of the pain and the symptoms. And then I had a big crash and my ME started around that age as well. So I became not disabled overnight in that sense, because again, I was born with the genes that I've got, but I had a lot of different obstacles to face and things to overcome. A lot of it to do with ableism and a lot of it to do with the ableism within the education sectors that I've you know (laughs) lost a lot of my I would say my childhood too because it was such a big thing so I had to grow up really quick yeah and I have always been quite mature in the sense of I have quite a wise head on my shoulders not to toot my own horn or anything but I've learned that the more that I embrace the disabled identity and I know this doesn't work for everyone and that's okay but for me the more that I embrace it the more at peace I feel with yeah. things that have happened back then because it's like I'm reclaiming that power yeah and again for someone so young like 10 years ago I was 27 10 years ago you were 11 so like <laughs> to have to have that understanding of yourself so young I'm jealous. I wish when I was 21, I had that that wisdom. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your disabilities are and how they impact your day today? Absolutely. So the main one, the I think I always introduce it as the elephant in the room because I'll be I'll just be sitting, I'll be all like bunched up in a ball, and, and that to me is my comfy. Um, but I live with Ellis Danlos syndrome. Um, of which there are 13 subtypes that I have the most common although it's a rare condition but I have hypermobile type so I have fluctuating symptoms from day to day but my baseline is is pretty set I know that's different for everybody but I experience a lot of pain in my joints because my joints are wearing away essentially Um, I have a lot of dislocations and subluxations of joints um, tendonitis and muscle pain and headaches and brain fog which we were just talking about before because I, I just forgot what I was saying entirely in the middle of a sentence um, I didn't know where I was what I was doing don't worry um, me either. I was like what are we doing oh yeah we're recording all right good 
yeah. I just sort of like see something twinkle out the corner of my eye and I'm gone. <laughs> I don't know why. I just lose the Ooh, track. shiny. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a cat. Um, but I'm, yeah, I would say quite significantly impacted by my EDS in comparison to some of the other conditions that I've got. Um, so that is the condition that has linked to a lot of the others, which is why it's so difficult to, to try and manage everything in one week. It's like a conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've got parts such as postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is a mouthful. Um, but essentially it's my autonomic nervous system is dysfunctional. So it's unable to properly regulate my internal system. My heart rate's really high. Um, my blood pressure is quite, quite low in comparison to my heart rate. That imbalance causes a lot of, of the um, fight or flight responses that you would typically feel when you know your body's all like hyped up and ready to go for action. But that's like yeah. a constant. So you, it's it doesn't work the same. You know, it, it's a it's a big strain. But there's ME as well. Um, I get the fatigue as an element of my EDS. Um, sorry, I think I might have to pause just for a second to swap my earbuds so do apologize no worries take your time Yeah, you're good. Brilliant. Okay. Um, I'm still getting used to these little earbud things. I sound <laughs> so I'm so technologically inept. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I know how to send an email and that's about it. It's it's fine. Yeah. I, honestly, in all fairness, I still don't know how to use Excel. <laughs> I also will never know how to use Excel. Too. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I just look at all the squares and I'm like, what? It's so confusing and I've been using it forever and I still have no idea what I'm doing ever, ever. So Again, you were saying, where are we at? You were saying that, um, you were saying that, you know, you have, you have, you have the fatigue and a bunch of conditions and you're, you have the ME as a part of your fatigue, but. Yes. And with that comes brain fog. <laughs> Um, that was a brilliant example of it. Uh, yeah, my ME started a lot when I was around 13. Um, I had very significant lethargy, but it was really ramped up after I got, I would have said at that point, it was from fatigue to full onset chronic fatigue syndrome when I was about 15. Um, cause I had a lot of complications as a result of my, uh, I had a burst appendix, which is as pleasant as it sounds and got blood poisoning from that. So my oh. body sort of, I know, Sexist. I know. Yay, fun. Oh, it's peritonitis. It's absolutely great. It makes you feel really good. <laughs> so brilliant. 
it's so great and it's also absolutely brilliant when a doctor's like you're fine and it turns out no you're, they uh, said you're fine and you weren't fine yeah they said i was fine they didn't even come out of the damn house but that's <laughs> they refused <laughs> they're like what? oh no have a vomit and you just vomit and you're all right you just got just got bad pain in your back yeah we've heard that before <laughs> turns out mm. oh no that's horrible doctors don't do that don't do that no don't do that at all please if a patient's like i genuinely cannot make it to the surgery maybe that means that they're really ill yeah and they Crazy. need to see you <laughs> yeah i know um but around that time that's when i really was affected by my body my body sort of went I think into a long period of shock from that and it's never quite been the same from that which is understandable um especially my gastrointestinal system has never been the same from that me too um, I'm having an IBS flare right now today and I'm just like it's horrible so am I oh twinning <laughs> <laughs> twinning it's, it's yes Kyrie, it's wonderful <laughs> Oh, Lord, it's a fun time. But at least we can understand each other with it, I suppose. Yeah, totally. So, like, if one of us shits ourselves right now, it's friendship's fine, everything's good, don't worry. Probably we can just me. talk to each other about our poo problems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. So, so how else does all of those things interplay with your day-to-day? I think a lot of my my health's like a full-time job and I'm sure that you can relate to that as well because I know that a lot of the creatives that I follow have expressed that that is a sentiment that they can relate to yeah it's of the managing your health when it's when it's complex and when you know there's so much that goes into it that people might not understand or and also you know trying to use your lived experience of disability and chronic illness and chronic pain as a way to make money so you're like well how do I do this how do I use this lived experience to get people to pay me to do stuff but also how do I then have to cancel the thing that I'm trying to do to make money to survive (laughs) so it's 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 a very like weird Thing we're in it is yeah it's, it's kind of feels like inception almost it's like you sort of live between these two worlds that are battling each other all the time i yeah. haven't seen the movie inception that could have just been an absolute <laughs> i mean it was it was sort of right it was sort of you were sort of correct i don't know what that film is you wouldn't know any... he's like being dead the whole time no well, maybe it's the oh. one where he it's one where he goes into like five different dreams all at once just like my dreams yeah he goes into like yeah. seven people's dreams all at once or something it was it was i still have no idea what inception was about really so no i've just sort of seen i've just sort of like seen memes about it and that's kind of as far as my understanding of it goes and that's and... all you really need to know it's all you really need to yeah <laughs> yeah so if you if you were to sum up just for the listeners because then we know that and I, and I, I've done episodes on, e, on HEDS and I've had so many guests who have the same condition. So for you, if you were to like summarize it for yourself, what would you say that it, that it is? Shit, sure. <laughs> yeah. The bloodbath is a mess. It's messy and it's convoluted. And it's complicated because it links with all these other conditions. And then those conditions 
aren't compatible with each other and then the medications that you're on can cause more symptoms that you already have but then they stop symptoms that it's it's the it's such a it feels like a battle with your own body at first and for quite a while I felt that but I think recently I've kind of come to the realization that I that was quite a harmful way of me to look at my own personal body and health because yeah. it's my body's not other than me it is me so I'm not looking at like this almost I felt like I was addressing it and you know managing it as if it was this something other that was affecting me and targeting me if that makes sense yeah no it does I've had disabled I've yeah. had disabled people on the show tell me the opposite thing where they're like you know what there's me and then there's whatever the fuck my body's doing so I think yeah each experience is totally different and I like but I agree with you for me like to be inside bodies that don't work the way that that are counterparts yeah. bodies work it can be really frustrating and, and again to be to for you to be to have such a young be so young and you have basically your whole like life still ahead of you to explore all the things to know that I think is both amazing and also like hard yes uh-huh I think it I uh, the, the strange thing about it which you might be able to relate to this but even though I had to spend a lot of time indoors anyway because of my conditions and because you know inaccessibility yeah um I've I think throughout the pandemic I've got to know myself so much more and that can also then or sort of encompass the parts of myself that I might need to work on that and it can also be the parts of myself I'm like I didn't know that about myself and I'm glad that I've I've learned that and I actually love that part of myself that I didn't realize was there so I think for me it was looking at the way that I was talking about my own body and how I was treating it like with my own perception of you know what it what what it sort of was and what it was worth I suppose yeah and yeah I think in my in my language that I was using about my own body and being so angry at it and being which I understand a lot of people feel that and that's for nobody to be like don't feel that way but in my own you know mental space I find it a lot easier to address it as I am in like I am in pain or like my rather than my body's being an asshole because again it's like I know that we sort of move around in these skin suits, but at the end of the day, it, I think that was affecting how I was perceiving that skin suit in the mirror. Yeah, so like... And I was you getting to... frustrated at what I saw because I knew that that was a symptom, like that was an expression of a symptom that I hated living with. And I don't like living with dislocations. I don't like living with subluxations. I've never met a person who does <laughs> Me neither. I've never I mean, met anybody anybody with EDS that's like, yeah, I love this part so much. When my hip pops out when I'm on the toilet, I love that for me. So hot. It's so great for me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I fully understand. Um, yeah. 
one of the things you mentioned in the questionnaire to me and that I wrote down as a question was you said that you didn't always have the most health, the, the healthiest, um, the healthiest relationship with your sexuality. Can uh, you, in whatever way makes you feel comfy, can you talk about that some more? Absolutely. I think I, when referencing the, the bit that I was talking about earlier of, I used writing as like a big facilitator in my own personal healing yeah. and understanding of, of what the hell and what the fuck was going on in my life. And at the time of even starting the blog and, and doing Bud to Bloom and, you know, pouring my heart and soul into that, I was also going through a lot in my own personal space, which over the years I've understood that 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 was that was like not what I what I perceived it to be at the time and essentially to dance around the topic um I was in a very emotionally abusive relationship at the ages of 17 18 and that also encompassed elements of sexual assault and as hard as that those words are to to say even um I think I'd much rather actually put them out there and be like yep that happened as horrific as it is because I'm still here um and I can look at that and, and understand that the, the person that I am now is still the same person from then but they've grown so much in the time between being 17, 18 and now 21 that honestly, I have a lot of, it gives me a lot of confidence for future growth because the, the shit that a lot of us experience in relation to those toxic relationships. And that can also, you know, extend to friendships and, and all sorts of different relationships in your yeah. life. But around that point, I had the worst that I've ever experienced relationship with my sexuality. I lost all feeling. I, every time, like during sex after that, disassociated, gone. So it was something that I didn't even, I, I was so removed from that element of myself because of that. So over the years, I've obviously a lot of therapy, but in, in that time, I've also had to sort of reclaim and understand what it is that I actually like, try and regain that feeling back, try and work on that, you know, healing and work on that trust building, both with myself and with other people. And I've, I think it, I've got to a place with it that I am much more at peace with the fact that that happened. I will, I will never forgive that personally. And I just can't. Um, I will never be obviously glad that that happened, but I am glad that I see it for what it was and that I can then reclaim that for myself and also in regards to my disability 
my intimate health was also always something that I was embarrassed about. Um, you know, bladder incontinence, IBS. Yep, and yep, been there, like been that. there. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, hip dislocations during sex and trying to, to, to broach that topic um, when you're like, oh, hang on a second, my hip just fell out. And the looks that you get of complete and utter fear and dread. Yeah, and then you're up there <laughs> being like, like, what do I do? It's like, yeah, it's like, in my mind back then, I used to just think, you don't want to upset that person and ruin their fun. But now I'd be like, why Why am I just going to lie here with my hip out of place? Like, yeah, no. But I mean, that's such Look a... That. Everyone that I talked to with EDS on this show has said literally they've literally shared the same story which which shows you how common it is and yeah. also like the feeling around I can't ruin that person's good time because if I ruin their good time then I've somehow failed and that's such a yes. common thread in how we even generally how we talk about disabled people's sexuality like I'm planning uh maybe to do some porn with one of my friends and in, in later in yes. the summer again and so incredible i texted him today and i was like he's like i was like oh i just want to let you know that i'm having you know a weird ibs flare right now and like we, we won't see each other for like two months so no big deal but like you know i am worried about when we're doing those scenes what if my body decides yeah. to like decide you know and it's really frustrating decides that now's a good time to relax <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah no. so like i totally understand the fear of being in a sexual situation mm-hmm. and knowing that your disability could change the could in that yeah. right in that moment change the way somebody perceives you entirely and exactly. that's really scary i think also it's that it would be unpacking that element of being embarrassed that people have have quote unquote seen you in that state which is such an ableist thing as we both can understand but it's it's like it's like yeah sometimes I pee a bit you know like can't help it yeah for me it's like I might shit on you cool right good yeah okay (laughs) I mean hey Andrew there are people that are into that (laughs) So at least, but I am. But see, here's the problem. I am not one of those people that did that. That's the. That's what. Here, I don't understand that. Hey, (laughs) I think it's it's something that we need to talk about more because it's like uh, people perceive it as everyone's going to think that this is this embarrassing thing. It's this horrible thing, and it's like. It's, it's not just, for, for us because we live with it. Like we deal with it all the time. Yeah. And I understand it can be a bit of like a, if you've never seen that before and that happens, I get if you're like a little bit startled, but it's the reaction following that. Yeah. And it's the the attitude you have in response as opposed to disgust of more like, I want to understand how I can support this person with this happening and we can have a healthy discussion and help them feel comfortable after this happening because I'm sure everyone can understand that that is it's embarrassing because you know especially as as someone who's British (laughs) uh 
yeah that a lot of us it's just like because well, we all know we, we apologize if somebody hits us with a door you know yeah, yeah we so say you, oh i'm sorry <laughs> as <laughs> as can, you can imagine we canadians have taken that over too we do the same thing so like, yeah so like if, I, if my body fails on you the very first thing that i'm gonna do is say oh no i'm, I'm sorry. sorry yeah i'm sorry it's like yeah and even when that person's like oh absolutely don't need to say sorry it's still like oh well, i'm sorry for saying sorry sorry <laughs> yeah it's like but yes i do i have to just doubly make sure you're not gonna freak out right now no I'm sorry, I, know. So, I totally because understand. we've had experiences where people have done that and it messes with our heads because it's like what are we supposed it, it's such a a barrier there because there's that lack of communication with the which is why you know is like interabled friendships and relationships are so important in that regard because I think the fact that we're able to to share that aspect of ourselves with somebody else is wonderful it's not our job to educate that person um, that's not something that we feel like we should need to do. Yeah. But again, I think a lot of my friends, when I've talked about stuff, have been like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one. And you're like, wait, you deal with that as well? Yeah, like, Even wow. though they've got different conditions, there's still stuff that overlaps. Like, I'm not going to name names. If they're listening, they know who they are. <laughs> but IBS, it's like when we talk about this sort of thing, we laugh together and for example if I've had a bad IBS flare I can text my friend and be like mate guess what and that is something that <laughs> it's such he's like you'll never guess what shit happened quite literally <laughs> um because it's again it just makes it something that's not so like yeah it's not so scary anymore and dirty it's not, anymore it's not so icky anymore exactly it's not yeah it's not so like Oh, I don't want to talk a taboo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like something you can joke about with friends. So it make, it puts like a nicer spin on it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, again, my sexuality, my sexual expression. I mean, understanding <laughs> my sexuality from the queer perspective was so confusing as I'm sure it is for the vast majority of people still um and I'm so grateful for having a supportive network now but growing up that wasn't that wasn't there and I again didn't understand you know where I fit in with that so I'm sure you again you can relate to this juggling between the wanting to be you know it's very much like the misogynistic type of viewpoint in terms of like the, the patriarchy as a whole of you must look attractive to be like worthy of yeah of like that attention and and that otherwise it's like you must still right. pass it straight in order for you to be considered yeah. really queer exactly yeah and i put like i always knew that I was into women we're talking about this okay um, <laughs> I always knew I was like into that and then growing up I thought wait maybe I'm bisexual I didn't understand that like <laughs> a lot of the time 
it's like the vast majority of the time I'm attracted to women and obviously in like in between that non-binary folks as well cishet men love them and then they open their mouth and you're like mm. so I think a lot of the time I was sort of I didn't feel safe and comfortable yeah because you know I I was like again when I thought I was you know only specifically attracted to women the homophobia and sexism that is it's just like so ingrained within society and and when you're then wanting to explore a little bit more that fear of being a bad gay person because it's like you feel as as if you have this pressure to sort of stick to the not the label that you've chosen for yourself because you are what you are but how you like have identified and I felt very much like I was betraying that element of myself and that I was I was that stereotype for a man of like oh I can turn you by you know what I mean and that was something I worried about for a long time and I again I'm in in the grand scheme of things I'm more attracted to women genuinely but I think I've come to terms now as pansexual is the label that works (laughs) and it's something that I can because it's it encompasses everything yeah and a lot of the time I just use the term queer it's just something that it's like I'm not straight put it that way I'm not straight <laughs> how you think you, and I'm always curious about this because I'm queer too and I use queer quite openly in what I do and who I am um I'm, I'm also like many other different labels that I've like played with and dabbled with and like explored but I'm wondering Same here. how does your queerness and disability how do they go together a lot of the time very harmoniously as I have found that the personal, the friends that I've found through the queer community are some of the most, I'm going to try not to get emotional when I say this, the most beautiful people I have ever met in my life. You know you're on, you know you're on disability after dark, right? So if you want to get emotional, go right in. I know, but I'm on antidepressants. So once I start crying, I can't <laughs> stop crying. <laughs> So you'll be like going through the rest of the interview and I'm like, ah, so <laughs> might not. But yeah, I, again, it's like the disabled queer friends that I've got are, again, some of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life. When I was younger, and I mean, I was not that younger, I was 18 for God's sake, but it feels like so much longer away than because so much has happened in that time. So I feel yeah. a lot older than 21. Um, plus my body is... Your body is like 85. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my bone density. <laughs> my hips. Yeah, 85. <laughs> so I honestly would think that like my 91-year-old grandma is more mobile than me. <laughs> <laughs> Queen. <laughs> but 
again, I, I think uh, it's, I've also found when I was exploring the, the queer scene, that's different. Yeah. I feel like there is a divide. There's the queer scene, which if you think a lot of it isn't accessible. And I think there's, it depends on the specific scene that you're referring to, but in this, this term, the nightlife. Yeah, um, like queer clubbing and queer bars yeah, and which, queer. Like cabaret clubs and drag clubs and these beautiful historic places which have so much history cemented in them, but you won't get a ramp. And I never understand them. And it's I so don't understand. And I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again. I don't understand how I don't understand how we can have fundraisers for HIV and AIDS and all, and which is great. And I think they're amazing. Exactly. I, I said this a million times. Yes. We can have fundraisers for that, and we can make. 50,000 quid and all this money for all that, which is great, amazing. Absolutely Why can we not do the same thing? Crowdfunding, yeah. For a ramp, for an elevator, for, you know, retrofitting a door, any of that stuff. Why can't we do that? Why? Why? I know. I think I have, but I think the answer is the hard answer that we probably can identify in that is because there's less of a desire within the community itself because it obviously I think there's so much pain that was felt so widely with that sort of thing but I think the 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 key aspect is as important as that is still we can still also put an importance on other stuff and that still matters and it's well, still a very it, pressing issue. And it's also another marginalized community that is then within your community. So you can understand then the barriers that are in place there. And I think it's, there's always seems to be an excuse because I've, a lot of the time, if I haven't been able to access space, I will say, do you have a ramp? No, but we'll try and lift your chair in. So it seems like, it's almost as if it's like well we'll try and get you in but like if you can't get in then go somewhere else like it's not our problem and that's it's like but it is though or yeah or it's going to be like i i recognize when when queer clubs try i think when they try and they say stuff like they definitely try but it's to a degree though yeah when they say stuff like like, i want to lift your chair and i kind of go well, thank you, except I wouldn't feel safe if you did that. So that's really nice. And not- plus this chair is so heavy. And plus when you lift this chair up and if you drop this chair, this is going to be thousands of pounds worth of damage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and like if I end up putting a disc out in my back because you're manhandling me up the stairs. Like, I'm not going to lie. When I was problem. in college, when I was in college, I had a really attractive dude carry me up some stairs to go to a club and I loved yeah. every second of it because he was beautiful and I was like this is great carry me all night amazing but I remember thinking like I'm in the club but I don't have my wheelchair so I have to sit I had to sit in this little... you feel as if you're observing the space that you should have access to yeah exactly and I remember being so excited to be there except that nobody would talk to me 
nobody wanted yeah. to engage with me and it was and so I don't do queer bars anymore because first of all I'm an old hag I don't care anymore I'm just like oh it doesn't matter like I'll hire my sex worker yeah. and, and have a good night whatever but like but you know I, I, I'm curious for somebody so young who is grappling with all this stuff and wanting to join the, the nightlife and doing all the stuff that I did fuck 20 years ago wow uh <laughs> what would you if you could create a, the most queer accessible space Lori what would you yes. wanted how would you make how would you make it I think it would be a case of of consulting with disabled creators who are educators and I think from a, as, as again we've like discussed previously specific disabilities and conditions and are they are so different and that means so much more in the term accessibility so my accessibility are things like for my wheelchair for you know disabled toilets and for you know level flooring and good seating and things like that but I know that for like some of my friends those disabled spaces would have to be like autism friendly and have staff that are trained in that yeah. and trained you know what would be absolutely incredible can you imagine in a queer space a therapy dog can you imagine oh how much that would be that would be adored how great that would be how amazing exactly that would be? can you imagine that it would have its own instagram it would have its own merch it would have its own tiktok people would be going to that place for that dog <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows that these things can be embraced and and can you imagine and... a queer club with i can't stop thinking about the with... dog idea mate. i'm not gonna lie i mean that would yes but also imagine a queer club <laughs> with the dog but also with autistic staff who yes. are also autistic who know and how autistic to... yeah autistic like autistic acts and comedians like if you're doing a about having a diverse audience of people who potentially even if you if one go this far dementia trained because this yeah. but it's like the queer space I, I feel like it's an age bracket yeah, and then yeah. after that it's like mm, unless you're a silver fox no yeah. and that is unless that you're is, a muscle daddy or like a you know yes or, you're unless, not... you're, unless you're covered in tattoos and can chop up some wood in my backyard <laughs> then you you ain't gonna you it's like why are you here like it's for the young people we want our music we want our but we then also want to embrace the history that you helped pave yeah so. well we want to we just not even embrace it's we want to co-opt the history and make oh yeah and make like an instagram uh, post about yeah. how we understand the history when none of us were there none of us really got yeah. it and we should be bowing the fuck down to you elders and saying like yes. thanks and also even though you're aging, maybe you want to have great sex at this club tonight. Let us get a ramp for you. Let us like, there's such an overlap between yes. disability and aging in the queer space. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've done a lot of stuff with disabled seniors in some of my work and they've all said to me, like, they've all said to me, wow, you know, we, we would like similar stuff to the disabled community. So there is a huge opportunity for like an old for like an elderly seniors club with disability. That would be yeah. so cool. I would love a club like that. I would honestly love to have a club which had specific nights for people to feel like they're safe within their group and then also a joint night. 
So if you want to go and you want to talk and sit down and meet with these people who have so much to share and have, you know, actually go back to the roots of what community means. Yeah, yes. And, you know, be with each other and support each other, understand each other and educate each other because it's similar in some ways as we are within the community. There's so many differences which are completely, you know, how else will we be able to to understand and learn about them if we don't educate ourselves about them and for people who want to actually share that information on and pass it on which of course they're never entitled to but as disabled educators I'm sure that we can understand that that's something that we feel passionate so again it's if you've if you've lived through that I think to have a space which is encompassing of what community actually is but also somewhere which is accessible because again, disability is finite. I could imagine though the difference if different people were trying to gain access to a queer space, it wasn't accessible, they were turned away. But a beloved person in that place acquires a disability and needs that access they would figure it the out. response would be so different yeah because it's well now it well now we can have emotion with this and we can say this can't go on anymore yeah we, we're gonna like you know make this because they were once they we were love. once one of us and so we yes. have to but we have to if, keep them as one of us. But when we come like, into spaces that, when we were born with disabilities and we come into a space just born like that, people don't know what to do. And that leads into one of the questions yeah. that I wrote down, which was, I love the, I love talking about the similarities and the differences between acquired um, and congenital disabilities absolutely. because there's a huge divide and I don't think there needs to be yeah. a divide. I think there needs to be more understanding um, on, on both sides. So how do you feel about that i think i've it's also something that fascinates me because i i think i think you could also argue that there's then the difference between you know a disability in later life or through like an accident or something like that or injury whereas i have a genetic condition and that was gonna come on at one point but I then, in my childhood, I could do so much more than if I had needed a wheelchair from a very young age, which, yes, 13 is young, but, like, uh, like six, seven? Yeah. Like, children and younger people going through the education system at that age, the, the type of ableism that they would then face because of the, you know learned microaggressions of young children and you know the curiosity young children exhibit but also how mean kids can be <laughs> to each other yeah kids and are the bullying really... yeah and how that can then damage our relationship with our disability and stable bodies even before the time you reach high school so yeah. again it's something that we have so many similarities but i can't even i can I can imagine to a degree, but I can't, but I also can't of like how that would have played into to life at that age, 
how much I would have missed out on. And again, that's that's something that is it's just so important to be able to have like friendships and conversations. For example, somebody like yourself, who can then, you know, give the perspective that I can't give. Yeah. Cause I can say when I was four, I remember being in my birth wheelchair from from the age of four to now, you know, and so but I could never but I also think that I also think that that you know what you were talking about having to be in a wheelchair at 13 and having to navigate that world and then the kids and then growing up like you also experienced a sense of loss and I you Um, and I too have experienced loss and so when we talk about how tragic like when the media or when the average person talks about the tragedy of becoming disabled I'm always like okay well there's it goes deeper than that talk to somebody yeah. who's, who was born disabled they too are losing parts of their ability because disability is progressing or there it's changing for them rapidly but we're not talking about them because we're so focused on johnny had a car accident let's you know make sure that johnny's all right meanwhile andrew's over there yeah. being like hey i lost the ability to pee today does anyone want to yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But then again, I can imagine that that review would be, shh, we're talking about this now, be quiet. And then go back to that because it's the sensationalized thing of, oh, overnight this can happen. How terrifying. Let's talk about it because the media loves to attach on to things that will create like fear. A story, yeah. A story, exactly. Rather than the stories of people who, I mean, right. As disabled people, question would you rather read a story about someone who embraced their disability and they learned and unpicked their ableism and embraced it that the parts of themselves that they had lost or suppressed because of that or would you rather read about somebody who has become disabled in from a media perspective from the or they were it's such a shame because they were great at football yeah I mean I would I would read the I would read the media story and then pick it apart and be like here's all the things you missed absolutely I would go on Twitter (laughs) I would say (laughs) yeah here's all the things you didn't get and so like but you know we would you know I think what's fascinating about congenital and acquired disabilities is that we the media and like social media and all those things pit these two communities against each other like if you're born disabled you're different if you were acquired disability you're a hero like when both experiences of disability i think need to be respected somebody who acquires disability is going through stuff that i'll never understand but i'm going through stuff that i'll never understand either fully but we can say i you know I, i still respect you and that's all right and i think we should be we need to be very cognizant that they're different but they're not Neither is neither is better or worse than the other one. Uh, absolutely, I think it's the there is so much of an overlap, but I think how it also influences our perception of of our bodies and our futures can be so so vast. Yeah, and like. 
there is again that big pressure of for, for specific conditions of oh you'll be better you can get better from this and it's like yeah well the media perception of say for yeah. instance spinal cord injury or stroke is that you'll get go get yeah. rehab you'll go get rehab and you'll be you'll be fine in a, in a few months or a year or two years you'll be fine whereas when you're born disabled the media perception is you were never fine to begin with you will never be fine you are this like other person within your soul yeah. and so i think it's really damaging how we how the media and disability perceptions have allowed for this like divide to be when it's like we can we can acknowledge that the two are different but we can also acknowledge that the two are equally hard and it's okay absolutely i i think i mean this is some like for example eds it was always you know oh it's growing pain so there's a lot of gaslighting in in life especially within medical gaslighting yeah of oh it's just growing pains and oh it's not oh it's not scoliosis you've just carried a bag heavy on one side so that's why you're on that's why <laughs> yeah i know right no it's scoliosis yeah, um, doesn't work like that. yeah you can't carry a bag and ruin your spine that's not how that works yeah like i can't carry a bag and have my waist nipped in at one side in a straight bit and then also have one leg longer than the other and <laughs> I don't no, that's, like, how it works. that's not how that works um, but even so I'm a debilitating thing. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I remember once, this is the thing I look back on and I'm like, how have, how did they have the goal to say this of like, are oh, you doing it for your dad's attention? So they told you that you were getting, you were in pain yeah. So because. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I went, I was, I had my knees looked at. My knees, I was, bullied as a kid somebody back healed my knee but I got EDS so that knee dislocated and there was tendon damage in that knee and that was my knee's never been the same since it's never been able to to knit together and stabilize since that was a growing body I was 10 went to the doctor about it in later life they looked at my knee and they said they seem fine <laughs> they're a little bit inflamed but if you're not walking around and using them <laughs> and they're about to be and then turn to my dad and says perhaps she's doing it for your attention okay right, bitch. I, I don't agree with that's not all right i don't like that at all that's gross honestly at that point i should have just went over and took the certificates down off the wall because it's just disgraced his entire profession yeah, and been like what Absolutely. are you doing just, wow yeah just like i hope you don't have doors genuinely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why did you say that Medical <laughs> what type? oh god but again like i always just like i will get better from this i'll be able to to walk by this age again i'll be able to do this by this age again and when i would achieve that age and hadn't done that i would feel like a failure and that i needed to be better in order to be the best which is again ableism and i completely fully you know can can say to myself that 
yeah, that was really crap. You know, it, you know, being better isn't the best version of yourself. No, and the timelines, and- the timelines that we are held up to need to fluctuate and they need to to bend and break and change or not be considered at all because for us in disabled bodies whether you acquire disability or whether it's congenital those timelines of able-bodiedness that people put on us that we put on ourselves don't can't and won't work because your disability has to come first and you then have to decide what to do from there at least that's how I feel about it I, that's exactly how I do as well. I think at school, I felt I needed to to make up for the fact so that I was disabled to get into to university. And I believe that that was, would have been the case for specific universities, not naming names. Um, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> but... It was like the attitudes were very it, it was either I felt as if it was tokenism of like or I'm disabled so you're filling a quota which is how I felt in my head or you're going to have to prove so I had these two like combating sides of my brain yeah. which essentially summed up together in a little neat bow of you're not good enough, whatever way. And it was just this this feeling of desperately clinging to what I had grown up thinking that I would be able to do. And thinking that I'd be able to, to go to university, do this degree by this age, and then I could do a master's degree by this age. And then I'd be able to, to which... They'd be able to save up a deposit for for a house at this age and have kids. And it was, but the the academic thing stuck because again I relied upon it as something that made myself feel. It wasn't I was doing it for myself. I was doing it because I felt I had to. You yeah. Know? And it it was like I got to a point where my body was so burned out. My brain was burned out. I was. I just couldn't keep going at that rate. And when I actually sat everything down, I had this huge crash because I'd just been running on empty and adrenaline and anxiety essentially for about a year. And it was just, it was soul destroying. And it was like, who am I doing this for? Because yeah. it sure as hell ate me. Because I'm I'm sat here <laughs> like at about three o'clock in, in the morning, unable to sleep because my system is so used to staying up till this time and revising like this this isn't this isn't like no no and I'm exhausted (laughs) and like I have all these straps on my joints to keep them in and I've got about six different doctor's appointments coming up I'm going to take up the entire week so I'm going to be exhausted by the time I get home and it's like I had to I've taken I'm going back to university this year which I'm very excited about yeah exciting thank you um but I had to take from being 18 out till now because I just my body just said no no my body made that decision for me I wish in in hindsight that I had made that decision for myself sooner 
and pace myself because I feel like the mental health impact that that toll that that took hang on let me rephrase that sense the toll it took on my mental health there we go was so significant that I felt I think I let my mental health suffer at the expense of needing to to like appease the ableist like I know that the like the ableist sort of structures and expectations that persist. Um, but it was it, it was really hard to make that choice because I was seeing people who I went to school with go ahead of me and that freaked me out because I was like, I'm I feel as if I'm on this like time scale because my health is progressive. So in order to like do all of this stuff that I'm supposed to be doing, I need to be like on it. And it's just, it gets to a point where you're like, that's never going to be the way that. Yeah, there's no way that I can ever do that. I can't keep clinging to this, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tell me, let's shift gears a little bit. Tell me a little bit more about your experience as a disabled creative and tell me about what that's been like for you and how did, like, how did Bud to Bloom come to be and how, like, where how just tell me that whole story absolutely um 2018 let's set the scene so it's 2018 and i think it was march um but my memory is also appalling so take that with a pinch of salt um <laughs> could be talking out my ass i usually <laughs> but do i have ibs so exactly yeah there so, we are. <laughs> yeah yeah hear a noise is probably what it is (laughs) but I yeah like I started it and it was to talk about my journey with mental health and and chronic pain at that point I had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and that was what I was you know sort of given until I reached the adult sector which is bizarre that they did that but they did um and I was in college I was in a toxic relationship at that point which is the one I was referring to earlier (laughs) I I was writing about my experience with eating disorder recovery and living with clinical depression and PTSD and which would then later turn to complex PTSD um and it was something that allowed me to, I've always loved writing. I've always loved literature. It was always something at school that I would be, I knew that I was safe with that subject. I felt like I could let my, I've always been so imaginative. And so being able to like, let my brain sort of run free through a pen is it's just so dope. Well, it me. probably it probably also was, and I, I'm just talking out my ass here, so I could be wrong, but it, it might be exactly. it might have it might have been like you know your body can't do your body is constantly in a state of flux, so at least when you're writing, you can go somewhere else. Like it's trans. We all exactly, know yeah. how transformative writing is, but I don't think we know how transformative writing can be for marginalized community members who are who are yeah. trapped in bodies that don't work sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I felt 
like I had when I would open my laptop and I would go to my blog and I would write and it wasn't it's never in my blog has never been a place for numbers it's never been that because it's always it's not something I typically heavily promote because it's which is which is fair enough but it's just a habit for me to like let it let it sit there I know that that might make no sense but it's it's quite different to my Instagram content and I again because there's the picture side of things the caption side of things the interaction with other people who are making similar content and networking it's a lot easier in my with how my brain works than my blog and writing on my blog has just been not so much as an online diary but it's just a way for me to poetically express how I feel regarding specific topics which pertain to my experiences and it was it's always been very cathartic and that evolved into Instagram content and it even I think it was uh January of this year that my first Instagram account was deleted for I don't know why don't we I love IG God? Yeah. Oh my God. It's like, oh, they have boobs and they're disabled and they're okay with having some cleavage in the shop. Oh. Delete them. But, yeah. you know, it's it's okay for a man to, to be on a beach with nips out. And or a, with his bum out or whatever it, it is. Speed. Exactly. What is that all about? It's sexist and ableist and probably some over here. It's like yes, maybe I did have a riding crop in the shop, but at least give me a warning. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It was so many disabled creators who did that and who then also talked about these taboo topics like sex and sexuality, which are in mainstream now. I feel as I don't know if you feel the same. I feel like it's been corrupted in the push for marginalized communities to talk about these things because they were so cut off from that group because it's almost as if we're not invited to the table yeah that now it's like you're so empowered and like for talking about sex toys you're so empowered for promoting this and i know that then there's also then that sexism and that discrimination that people face like regardless because you know of their gender identity and you know that sort of thing but then a disabled person talks about it yeah and that's really frustrating to me when, and a, it's like, when a disabled creative says the exact same thing as a non-disabled creative or something very similar and puts disability in there their post doesn't go as viral as say the non-disabled person's yeah. post and I uh, and I just find it interesting how that the the structures of ableism still are very present when you're online oh yeah definitely. i think it, it affects people's in, desire to engage with the content and yeah. for me i like to see my experiences reflected because i 
And to be honest with you, the vast majority of accounts I follow on Instagram are either about like disabled creators and like people who create that sort of content, or it's just like homeware because I have a, a problem when it comes to to scatter cushions and candles, and <laughs> I just absolutely love them. So there's that. That's me. That's my like instagram so i don't but i see a lot of other people sharing on their story a lot of it is still content from people who are you know responding to a to a comment but it's goes so much more like viral and and the response that is then met is met with is so different to if a disabled person does that yeah because you know they've like the difference between an uh, able-bodied person who's a new parent and they are talking about their experiences or they get a hate comment which is like you're a bad parent or something like this and they respond to it a disabled person gets an absolutely horrendous comment because it's like again ableist of like paraphrasing because of the amount that i've seen um of, of essentially saying that they aren't a good parent because they're disabled and they brought a child into the world and that that's yeah. and the response that that is met with is still then people feeling the need to justify that point yeah yeah and there's again i feel like even like me sometimes some of the stuff that i want to talk about though the backlash after having my Instagram account taken down once I do have that little seed in the back of my brain sometimes of like do I want to talk about this as openly as I want to oh yeah we have we have so much because, as disabled creators we have so much censorship and there's like you have to pick and choose how, yeah, can, I, then, how can I dance around it without yeah. saying what I really want to say because I can't say it because they'll take it down or they'll flag me or something so how can I, I sort know. of talk about it, but not really talk about it, but then I want to talk about it. I also find it a little bit interesting that brands can post the exact same content, or which is a little bit more revealing, and that because they have a linked shop, it's fine. But <laughs> it's like, hmm, there is very much money-driven. And I think, you know, the social media sees disabled people as not having that buying power like not having that appeal yeah it's like you ever heard of the purple pound like (laughs) the whole the whole push of how much in terms of like hundreds of millions if not billions if you're looking specifically like across i'm pretty sure the last time i looked at the 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 buying power of people in the u of disabled people in the uk was in the billions maybe two billion yeah, it also like could be something completely different because again, as we mentioned prior, my brain is just like my brain is not good either. An so empty we, cave. We could just be talking like, about we could just be yeah, completely exactly. wrong. Stuff just echoes around in there, and then I sort of catch snippets and I'm like, going with that. <laughs> it could be completely <laughs> wrong. But yeah, like I think as a disabled creative, I just I found community. And I found friends and I found my partner through that. So yes, she's a queen. And I've found opportunity through that that I'm always going to be grateful for. And one of those opportunities being here. So it's that type of 
of you know community and sort of corner it feels of the internet that I'm like I love this place this is like my home online the rest of it feels a little bit like yeah yeah different and not in the way of like people view the disabled communities different I view it in the ways this doesn't feel like it's representative and that's coming from me like I am a I am a young person and I am white and that is my experience but then add on top of that other layers of oppression and it's like the I can I can't imagine how limited your representation would then be on these platforms because it's hard enough to even see somebody who outwardly looks like like me in terms of like my race and it seems like there isn't that push to then also broaden your your representation with disability and especially specific conditions for other racial backgrounds I feel like there seems to be a desire to pick one marginalized group yep that's yeah I totally agree with that but I, I also think you know just speaking on being a disabled creator on the internet, I think that we in the disability community, communities and all the different different facets of disability there are, we, are, we spend way too much time fighting with each other. Way too much time yeah. telling each other that each other is wrong. When it's like, can we just come to a consensus if we're gonna be on here? Yeah. I, I have found that a lot and I think that's a really good point because I I think there's the there's the argument which I understand of well I'm disabled and I don't find this offensive right but can for example if I'm talking about like specific language yeah um like if you for example like I've talked about like, like seen these conversations on online before and circles oh. up you know we wheel in, um, but the the term, like, I, personally for me, I'm all right with using it to describe myself, not so much other people using it to, to talk about me, but the term cripple, I see that as something of, I am, I'm a little crip, and I love that for me, and I'm genuinely, I'm okay with that word. If somebody was to come up to me and say, and talk say to me that I was a cripple that's different because the intent I can't see that intent whereas for me I I see that word and it's warm and fuzzy and it's it's just I'm 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 okay with that and I know that that term can also apply to the word queer and yeah some people like don't use it but I'm okay with it but again I can understand if people aren't okay with it yeah and because there's a lot of pain attached to that word for a lot of people totally but i i think that the way here my issue is the way that it's policed within the disability yes. community and the way that yeah, these things are yeah yeah the way that we're the we're gate kept from each other and i said stuff about you know wanting to build bridges between the non-disabled and I disabled communities that, 
and people don't love it when I talk about this stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't want to, I just don't want to fight. Like, I'm not here to start a fight. I'm exactly. saying that like, we need to call the peace to everybody. We need to find a way to, I think as online creators to, we have to, we have to try to work within the able-bodied community, even when they're, even when oh, it's painful and hard and they're the worst and it's horrible. I don't love it either, but I know that because they have yeah. the majority right now, we need to work with them and give them the tools to unlearn their stuff. But every time I do that, yeah. every time I do something like that, a disabled creator will come up to me on the, on the forums and be like, well, wh- why are you doing that? Why are you talking about this? Why are you gaslighting us? I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. I'm trying yeah. to find a way through that's, I, and I, all I'm putting out is ideas. I'm never saying exactly. you have to. I'm not ever saying yeah. you have to agree with them. I'm just saying, here's an idea. <laughs> Let's try this. Yeah, you're just speaking out into the world. It's like, it's just, it's, it doesn't have to be this, like. Finite thing but, I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be this. This will always stand the test of time. Yeah. This statement, it will always win. No, if it's just a, maybe a question to put out there, a conversation and a, a healthy debate when the you know obviously yeah. you need to if it's a sensitive topic please be aware but you know it's like it's 100 percent okay to talk about it and to to educate each other and be like thank you for telling me that i mean this has happened to me before and i i'm pleased when people genuinely when people will say you know this might like this is a different perspective and this is a, going on a complete tangent, but I was talking to somebody about, you know, it was, I think in America, it's different here, but 5150, and I think it's a term of like, it to- It's just, a mental health hold, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. But then there was also the aspect that I hadn't previously considered of race and the, you know, the potential brutality that could be met with mental health, especially specific conditions and how they can come across and be perceived as aggression when they're not. But that is something that I hadn't previously considered, but I'm so glad that someone brought that to my attention. But because I, And I agree. I totally agree with you. My issue with stuff like that is the way they bring it to our attention is you are wrong. You have said the most horrible thing that you could ever say by even saying this you're like how you you know I've, I've been told that I'm not an activist I've been told that I'm doing it wrong I've been told like so many the way that because of the anger we in the disability community hold when we get on platforms yeah. like Twitter or Instagram and we have the freedom to type whatever the hell we want which is fine we forget that like people are going to read this and so if all you're spewing is how is how angry you are yeah, everything you're not going to make it easy for any of us to connect that's understandable I I also see it as, as like I like when people do that and because it's a very raw human emotion not all the time because again as you say I think it's it's nice to break away from from that I feel like it's a very it's an interesting conversation to have because it feels like disabled people either have to dance around the topic of 
always be appeasing and then there's that middle ground which uh, that you're talking about which I think a lot of people sort of feel comfortable being in because then there's the you don't want to you know appease ableist like beliefs and people who have those beliefs in the able-bodied community and you don't want to then be the angry disabled person stereotype so it's so difficult to find it. But and I mean, yeah. my activism online and my kind of creativeness online has shifted. I used to be all about being the angry disabled person. That's what I was taught from our community. You're supposed to be, if you go online, you're supposed to be us and them. And as I started doing it, I was like, well, this doesn't feel good anymore. This feels super uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, I shifted. I was like, I don't want to be mad at everybody for every little thing they do. And also, guess what? I have ableist thoughts too. So like, I can't. Yeah. I can't call somebody an ableist. I've like, and, and I've been been wrestling with this one a lot in my head recently, on the line of like, saying, "Oh, you're an ableist person," is so to me anyway. It's so final. It's so like you're an ableist person. Period. Full stop. There's no chance for the other person to like grow and learn and change. And so for my kind of activism has shifted and like I want to find a middle ground where we can all talk about this stuff and not hate each other at the end yeah yeah I can I can definitely I can definitely understand that one yeah it is so much pain and I would I feel like it needs to be more of a push for us just to to in the mainstream talk about that pain yeah because that can when we can't do that and people see that and go to us we are hurting a lot of the time when it when we see you know conversate when we're being excluded from you know communities and things like that and there's also in the disabled community there's a lot of criticism for it being exclusive of other minorities within the disabled community and yeah. that is also something to, to think about. I mean, I like, totally agree with that. Like, like yeah. you know, I, I agree that disability is way too white. Disability is way too male. 100%. Disability is way too cis. It's with all these things. Yeah. Um, it's way too straight. And, it's way oh, too... Oh, gosh, yeah. Like, you know, we were talking a minute ago about the differences between spinal cord injury and, you know, congenital disabilities. And the only yeah. way we talk about sexuality and disability in a lot of places is through the lens of a spinal cord injured person. So like we have a lot of work to do, but I think we also have to find a way to do it without so much of the anger because not that the anger is invalid, but also yeah. like the anger can also turn, and this is only my experience. For me, the anger turned toxic and angry. And I was like, I don't want to this. Every day I'd, woke up, I'd wake up and think, oh, that able-bodied person is such an asshole because they did blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, this doesn't make me feel good. This is actually yeah. pushing me away from friendships and opportunities and like stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely see that. So I just think that the way disability is divided online sometimes as a disabled creator, I struggle because I, I do want to appease to everybody. I do. I want to be there for yeah, the disability same. community. And I want to take the money from the able-bodied mm. community to be like, thanks, I taught you a thing. I did a lecture and I'll give me $1,000. Like, thank you, bye. Like, I want to, I want to do that. So it's, Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's, it can be quite hard to, to be a creative in the space. Oh, 100%. And uh, 
it's, I think when we talk about things like ableism and the need to be more inclusive and things like that, I think we also can sometimes forget that we can also be and that we aren't like the, we aren't, I think we need to stay away from like the, yes, woke queen. We love like a woke queen. We love someone who's like socially like aware of everything because I, there's so much pressure to then to always say the right thing but then so much goes on unchecked you know yeah yeah and and it's like we need to stop raising people on a pedestal for being very aware of of what's going on as opposed to how that comes across and how we treat people with it yeah. and how we can because I know people, I, I know that there's been times where people have been in my life personally very socially aware on, on a lot of topics, but then it comes to disability and it's like, yeah, they outwardly seem socially aware, but then there's still microaggression within that. And I have, a, that has been really hurtful to me. And I think it's still obviously very valid, but I, I strayed away from, confronting that and instead shut that out and in hindsight now I feel like it would have been very cathartic to have that sit down conversation and use that and and rather than being angry and scared about it and and run with that I think that fight or flight response was definitely there um it, it very much now would it would see me likely wanting to to have that conversation but I think I've been taught that through the community as well to have those yeah. conversations and to you know to to let your boundaries be known and that I feel like that is something that I'm so thankful for the community to of talking about and, and you know educating people in your life so that they can be better support to you but you can also then you know, have better relationships with them as a result and not have that divide and that view of feeling so different. Um, and I think sometimes we put that feeling of feeling different on to them. We say like, oh, you're yeah. able-bodied, so you'll never understand. And it's like, well, maybe they would if we give them a, a chance. Like there are big disability creators that I used to follow that I simply can't follow anymore because I'm like, every single post you make is an us and them post. And while I get it, and while I appreciate where you're coming from, do you see how much damage you're doing by turning this community away when you could maybe, just maybe, take them by the hand and say, let me show you something, instead of telling you, like, and I know it isn't easy, and I know it doesn't happen overnight, but, like, the way we are, I think, and I could be wrong, and if anyone wants to come and tell me how wrong I am, that's fine. But uh, I think that, um, you know, finding that bridge that we can build together is so much more valuable than than saying oh, I don't want to build a bridge with you because you're this way absolutely I also feel like that can also that for me personally that anger that I have felt in the past and still persists to a degree now uh, honestly but I'm more aware of how it comes across 
now that I used to be by a long stretch, I felt so exhausted because of having to, like having those conversations with people and being so shut down, just being completely shut down and just, and that is exhausting. And it gets to a point like for me where I just was like, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. Yeah, of course. And like, why should I have to have these conversations, which is a valid point. You know, I think the, the real, it's a difficult one to unpack because then it's confronting the actual societal and, you know, system, like the systematic, you know, way that it will, that ableism can change how everybody operates. Yeah. Because of their lack of exposure to it, which that might not be a conscious thing. But yeah. you can't expect everybody to, you know, be aware of the things that we've lived through. Uh, I just think for me, and it wasn't even it wasn't even for the able-bodied community that I shifted my gears. It was like I was feeling sick. I have to do something because just like you, I don't want to uh, have, um, I don't want to have that those conversations all the time either. But I'm like, if I have it now, and if I do it in a way with love then something oh, yeah. is going to come to me or come in me or both, <laughs> um, you know, or on. or on or in or around. They're going to, you know, all those things are going to happen. Or they'll aim and it doesn't, and it misses. Yeah. All those things are going to happen. Um, but it's going to be done with, you know, some understanding. So yeah. I, that's a really, it was a really long conversation to say being a disabled creator is super hard and super like, nuanced yeah especially when you put so much hard work into it and then it's just like or then ig shuts you down oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh nice start the new year that was yeah so (laughs) shitty um we've gone through so many things i could sit with you for another like five hours but we've hit the hour and a half mark so i'm wondering Lori allison uh, any final things you want to say in the show? No, <laughs> my brain's dead. <laughs> I would. I'm probably gonna. This is me at like one o'clock in the morning. I'll just be like, ping. My brain's awake, and I'll think of the most poetic. You'll be like, I should have said this. At the end, just like it's like, oh, it's this gorgeous message. That like, no, it's all good. I had fun. Yeah, I was, just had a wonderful time. I had fun. And it like, was an everywhere conversation. And I'm, I don't know when it's going to come out. I don't know when this is going to air, but whenever it does, it'll be great. Um, how do the people get a hold of you? How can they follow your blog? How can they support you? Absolutely. So I think the best way to do it is through Instagram because I've got my link tree in my bio and then everything's there. But so that's the point of call and that my. My handle is Bud to Bloom Laurie. Um, all, all one thing. Nice. I'll make sure. That Wait, that's... there's no spaces in Instagram handles anyway, is there? Uh, no, no. There's like periods, <sighs> or there's like. But yeah, it's all one thing. So, uh, but, just like so everybody else but... is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Bud to Bloom Laurie. Um, I'll make it's sure that Laurie, yeah. I'll make sure that that's in the show notes, and I'll put your link tree in the show oh. notes too. Um, thank you, Lori Allison. Thanks for thanks for spending your evening with me today. 
tonight for you, today for me, because you're across the pond. Um, I think it's golden hour now. It's lovely. It's the light's coming in. Like, so pretty oh! from what I can see there. It's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so um, much for, for, for shining a light on all your stuff today and being here. Um, I really appreciate you and appreciate just our chat we had. It was really fun. I know. It was wonderful. And I'm, again, very grateful and thankful to be here. And, yeah, keep doing what you're doing as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Very proud. Thank you. I mean, that means a lot coming from another, another queer crypt. Yay. Amazing. All right, Laurie, we'll talk soon. Crip up with a Q. Oh, oh, I like that. All right, all right. Oh, That's... my God. Okay, that is a Netflix special that needs to happen. I mean, I can someone hire us to write that? that name. Yeah. TM, 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 <laughs> TM. Um, <laughs> Laurie Allison, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark, and I will talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Gerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021